Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. The U.S. Market Update with Money FM 89.3. Good morning, folks. Here's how markets wrapped up overnight. We had the Dow Jones Industrial Average lower, even after U.S. legislators were able to come to a short-term agreement that staves off a government shutdown. So the 30-stock Dow lower by 0.2%. That's about 74 points. And this is down for the eighth time in 10 sessions. The S&P 500 slightly higher by 0.01% to just slightly over 4,288. Big technology shares were spared and that saw the Nasdaq Composite up 0.7%, closing at 13,307, marking its fourth straight day of gains. So all in, we are seeing bond yields climbing and this with the yields on the five-year to 30-year treasuries rising 10 basis points. So let's check in now with Abigail Watt. She is the research economist at Aberdeen. Abigail, thanks for joining us on the show. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Hey, great having you on, Abigail. So let's get help first to make sense of the latest session. How would you describe the current sentiment right now? I think it's really interesting what's happening in markets just now. I think what you're seeing is markets kind of repricing this realization that rates might be held longer or pushed even higher by the Federal Reserve in coming months. Um, And I think the, the way that you're seeing that play out is you're seeing kind of, I guess, equity market struggling to kind of gain traction and you're seeing yields moving higher in particular the the kind of 10 to 30 year range Um, and I think all of this just speaks to the idea that markets are digesting that higher for longer message that we've heard from the Fed and from you know even today a number of regional Fed governors out kind of sounding notably hawkish. Yeah, so you've got markets trying to price in to some degree, perhaps higher rates, and we are already seeing it at about 16-year highs. And we might even see another rate hike down the road. Is that going to mean we can expect rates to go even higher from here on? I do think our expectation is that we see the Fed hike one more time. I think that's in their dots, though. So I think the extent to which you continue to see pressure um, on yields will will depend on, I guess, how much surprise there is in the market versus how much the market's already you know, beginning to price that. Um, markets are currently only pricing around a 30% chance of a hike in November. So it is possible that, you know, should the Fed begin um, to, to kind of more clearly signal that mm. given, I guess, some of the risks around a shutdown going away, given... Um, you know, perhaps the the strength and activity that we've seen, that they're more willing to kind of put that hike in place in November, I think, you know, you might have to start to see some more adjustments higher. Yeah, Abigail, there's been a lot of discussion about the impact on the economy from these higher rates. And this also puts into view the movements on the Russell 2000 index, which focuses on small caps, is down 1.6% in the latest session. And it pulls it to negative territory for the first time this year. And typically, when you look at small caps, it's a bit of a barometer of the wider economy. So what can you expect in terms of impact on the economy from higher rates here on? So I think what's interesting is one of the things that people have been very focused on through the summer is the resilience in the U.S. consumer. And I would say that I think there's a number of kind of headwinds that would be you know, growing through the remainder of the year. The first is um, the resumption of student loan repayments. Mm. Um, we would estimate that could take around 0.4 percentage points off um, annual growth for the in consumption for the year. So I, I do think that's a, a, a one thing to watch. 
And I think the, the kind of um, sentiment of consumers as well has been weakening um, since we've, we've come into the, the fourth quarter of the year. And so I think the, the critical thing in terms of interest rates being passed through is the extent to which consumers can weather that high interest rate. And I think one of the things that we've seen is that consumers have been able to spend through the, the you know, the through 2022 so far, 2023, sorry, so far, on the basis of excess savings, but those excess savings have been dwindling and have, are probably no longer going to be as big a buffer for U.S. consumers. So I do think we will begin to see the pass-through of, of higher rates into the, the kind of broader economy in the U.S. Yeah, it seems like another flashpoint um, to watch out for is what's happening in commercial real estate. That's triggering a lot of um, discussions whether we might see a crash there. What's your take on what's playing out in the property space? I think the commercial real estate is quite tied to what we saw earlier this year in terms of the regional banking stresses in the U.S. You know, we've since seen some of those stresses, um, you know, alleviate a little, but it's certainly the case that for commercial real estate in particular, regional banks tend to be disproportionately um, the lender for commercial real estate. So I think that's um, very tied to the stresses that we saw earlier this year. And I think one of the questions is, um, if we continue to see rates kind of pushing higher, do we start to see some of those banking stresses beginning to emerge again? Yeah, so higher for longer could mean trouble for real estate. We are having a conversation with Abigail Watt. She is the research economist at Aberdeen. Now, of course, the big headline over the weekend has been around the U.S. government shutdown. The can's been kicked down the road. So how investors, how concerned should investors be right now about this issue, Abigail? So in terms of the concern for investors, I think um, it's one of those things where this is going to be probably a rolling issue. Um, and I, I think there was a positive surprise over the weekend. I, I think our expectation was that you, you might not be able to see this continuing resolution passed at the weekend, and it was. And so I would take that as a, as a kind of positive mm. sign that um, House Leader McCarthy you know, seems to be willing to kind of come to the table for, with a bipartisan solution. Um, but I do think it's one of those things that will likely be its head again come mid-November, which is when this continuing resolution uh, will run out. Um, there's only, I think, 16 days where both the House and the Senate will be in session together before that date. And so there's not a huge amount of time for them to put in place the, the kind of 12 spending bills that need to be passed before November 17th. So in all likelihood, you might continue to see uh, another continuing resolution um, or perhaps even, you know, a, a government shutdown, which would be more disruptive. Yeah, so there are a couple of issues here uh, that's going to be sticking points, among them the aid that's supposed to go to Ukraine. So what's your level of optimism that we might get another deal done? So it's interesting, when the bill for um, aid for Ukraine was taken out of the continuing resolution bill over the weekend, that I think is the real trigger for McCarthy being able to get that through the House. But the House has actually passed a separate bill to provide funding to Ukraine already. And so I, I think the, the ability for the funding for Ukraine to act as a, a kind of real key sticking point in terms of passing the, the 12 spending bills that need to be passed, um, I think it will be uh, dependent on the extent to which that's allowed to influence the, the passage of those bills. And I think some of the signs from the weekend would suggest that perhaps um, it, it might not be as big a factor in terms of determining whether a solution is found. Yeah, how damaging is it going to be if we do get, I guess, more paralysis on the front when we talk about US government shutdown, when we also have the possibility of more strikes happening in the automobile space? So I think both of these things are, are you know, possible headwinds through the, the fourth quarter of the year. 
Um, the auto worker strikes in particular, I think given the targeted nature of them, they can have kind of spillover effects down the supply chain that, that go kind of beyond just the, the kind of auto worker strikes um, in terms of the direct impact there. Um, I think on the, the kind of potential of government shutdown uh, impacting growth, um, estimates would suggest that each week of, of, of shutdown would shave around 0.1 to 0.2 percentage points off quarterly annualized growth. So um, it's one of those things, though, where it's likely to reduce growth in, the, in that quarter, but it's likely that that growth would then be made back up. Mm, um, right. So it, it's more of a kind of a redistribution of growth rather than completely lost output. And then, Bigel, just to wrap things up, looking ahead to the week, we've got a bunch of labour data to look out for. And pretty much it's been good news for economy, bad news for markets. So what are we looking at when it comes to the non-farm payrolls, for example, this week? Yeah, the consensus is expecting around 170 jobs to be added in September. Um, and I was glad that this is pretty much in line with average. Um, this is, you know, we've been seeing kind of slowing payrolls growth, but this is about to like average levels. So you're not yet seeing kind of a significant loosening in the labour market such that job, um, job losses are beginning even. The thing that I think is really important to watch this week is the revisions. Um, we've seen first estimates have been revised lower every month this year so far. And when you total up those kind of downward revisions, it would account to around 355,000 fewer jobs in the U.S. economy this year. And I think that's one way in which we're starting to see that kind of loosening in the labour market. Um, so that's one of the things that I'm watching closely for in payrolls on Friday. All right, payrolls as well as ISM indices to come out. This week, lots to watch out for in terms of U.S. data. Let me check for Abigail Watt. She is a research economist at Aberdeen. Abigail, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you. All right, stay in Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.